I'd like to welcome back our friend, Samir, who today is going to talk about the John Muir Trail. That's a trail I haven't covered on the podcast and one that I find very interesting. I've interviewed Jason Fitzpatrick, who was part of the crew that produced the movie Mile, Mile and a Half, but we didn't really talk much about the trail itself. It was more about the production that went into making a film like that. So Samir is going to share with us his experience and some information about the trail itself. Welcome back, Samir. What's up, Martin? It's nice to be back on the podcast for another episode. I'm feeling feeling like a regular. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about the JMT and New Moon Pueyo. Just uh, didn't know that you haven't really had an episode about it yet. So it would be cool to kind of get into it. And Samir, you are a regular. I enjoy having you on and you, you provide great <laughs> information for us when you cover these trails. You're kind of becoming my go-to trail person, which is great. <laughs> Thank so you. So we really appreciate that. Today, we're going to talk about the John Muir Trail, which you hiked. Yeah, so I hiked it uh, the summer of uh, 2023. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll give a, a little background just on the trail itself, and then I'll talk about little logistics of my hike. So uh, the JMT, it's also called the New Moon Poyo. It's uh, 213 miles, um, and it goes from Yosemite Valley to um, Mount Whitney, the summit. So there are some more logistics in terms of how you get to either one of those terminuses. Uh, and I did hike it southbound, so I started in Yosemite. Um, I think it's generally a harder permit to get. I'll give you a little info on how I got my permit, though. But it is a it's an interesting hike. There's a lot of mountain passes that you climb. One of them's Forester Pass, which is the highest pass in in the U.S. Um, and uh, it's the highest pass on the PCT. Then, um, but yeah, the uh, traveling southbound, the elevation is forty six thousand feet ascent and thirty eight thousand feet descent. Um, so I got kind of lucky with my permit. It's definitely, it's known as a hard permit to get one of the harder ones. Um, I didn't luck out on getting one, uh, at the lottery. Um, so I did see a lot online though, about people saying like, just check, you know, leading up to your, your planned start date, just check online on recreation.gov to see for cancellations. And I think I got kind of lucky since 2023 was, you know, a record snow year for the Sierra. Um, a lot of people, you know, I started late July and hiked into, you know, mid-August, but a lot of people I think were planning for the snow to be a little more melted by that time. Um, so there was a lot of cancellations. Um, so I got lucky one morning, just woke up 7 a.m. and checked recreation.gov and there was one permit. So that's how I was able to get that permit, but it was kind of anxious leading up to it because I just, there wasn't a lot of info on what the passes were like. And, you know, I saw, I would look on Instagram, the hashtag of like, JMT 2023, different variations of that. And you'd see some people were doing it, but you saw most people were quitting it and, you know, starting it and, and bailing. And so I was kind of worried about that. Um, but I went ahead and I, I bought some micro spikes and an ice axe and uh, realized uh, when I bought the ice axe and had that, you know, big sharp axe sticking out of my bag, I was like, maybe I'm in, in over my head, but um Ended up, you know, it was a very eventful, a lot of the passes, almost all of them were covered in snow or ice, but didn't end up using the ice axe, which is good. Um, probably because I actually kind of changed my, my, the route at the end of the trail. Once I summited Whitney, instead of going down through Whitney portal, I kind of went back the way I came, uh, took a longer detour, um, through like golden trout wilderness, um, 
really just kind of had extra time before I was going to get picked up. And so I thought might as well just hike some more and fish. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. I was happy to have, you know, taken some extra time on the trail, uh, ended up being about 235 miles around that for me. And it finished in about 14 days. So it was, you know, a lot of, a lot of elevation combined with the mileage, which is kind of made it tough, but I got to say between of, of the hikes that I've done, um, it's got to be one of the most beautiful ones. Like the Sierra is super special, I think, to a lot of people. And there's a lot of good hikes there, TRT, PCT, JMT. There's just so many. Um, and it was really cool to have spent some time on the JMT, a trail I've heard so much about when it was a year where, honestly, I met only one PCT hiker because a lot of people had, you know, quit or gone north to Washington to wait for the snow melt in the, in the Sierra. So didn't see a lot of PCT people, just saw a few JMT people, didn't really meet many so-bound, uh, southbound people, but I did meet a lot of northbound people the second half of my hike, which gave me a, you know, my first, the first people I could ask, hey, what's Whitney like? Like, what was it like in the second part of the, the southern part of the trail, which is notoriously more jagged and rugged and difficult and you know, I talked to some people, some high school kids that were doing the JMT together and they were like, oh, it was, it's, it was fine. Don't worry. We don't even have micro spikes, but you know, some of it was a little hard some, I'd use the spikes on a couple passes, but I was, you know, made it safely to the end and, um, it's cool. I had some cool wildlife encounters and everything, but I'm looking forward to kind of talking about it more with you today. Yeah. The JMT is interesting because yeah, it's not an easy hike. You know, sometimes, you know, some people might think, well, it's 200 something miles you know yeah it's not exactly the pct but you might make the case that you're going through some of the more difficult parts of the the pct while you're on the jmt uh, and especially 2023 i had interviewed a number of 2023 pct hikers who did exactly what you talked about went around right they said uh, you know rather than take a chance i'm gonna head north and come back finish up heading south you didn't have much of a choice with your hike though, right? Once you started, it was like, I'm just going to have to push through and hope I'm prepared well enough. Yeah. It was funny. Cause I, I told myself and like, it's like, I told my family, like they, they still don't get like, why do you do these things alone? And it's like, my excuse is always like, I mean, I'd do it if I had like someone, one of my friends wanted to do this exact thing and have this time frame to do it, but it's just not worked out like that. Um, but I told myself, I was like, you have to, you're buying an ice axe. It's a record snow year. Just be smart. You're alone. You know, you have your Garmin, but if you get to a point where you have the smart thing to do is to bail or go back, you have to do that. So I told myself, like, you know, you'll still have fun if you don't finish it. You know, it's it's you're still going to be out there as opposed to, you know, just burning up in Arizona or something in the summer. Um, and there were a couple of times where, you know, I had to be very smart about my decisions. You know, I had to be like, just throw on the micro spikes. It's icy on this pass and steep. Um, but that's, you know. I, I was able to make it through. And the only thing that probably would have really derailed the hike is a, a bridge that was actually damaged from a bunch of snowpack, all the weight of the snowpack. Um, it closed an entire section of the trail, kind of like one of the, the more prominent sections, like Muir Pass, where the Muir Hut is and everything like that. I didn't really get to do that part because they, they developed a detour that was um, from Paiute Pass. You'd take that pass you can, you know, go into Bishop or you can kind of navigate uh, around that area. You could hitchhike, you just have to get to this other trailhead. I think it adds maybe two miles to your hike, but I just was like, I need food anyway. I'll just hike into Bishop. 
or hitchhiking to Bishop and came back out the next morning, um, then connected to Bishop Pass. So I did skip a section of the trail, but I hiked more mileage than that would have been to just do that. Um, but it was interesting because like I saw pictures of this bridge and it was just like twisted and mangled and looked, you know, like you can't cross that. And it was high water from all the snow melt. But as I met more northbound hikers, they'd be like, yeah, we just we just uh, we scrambled across the bridge. And I was like, what are you talking? Are you serious? And then even some of the comments on Gut Hook, they were like, yeah, uh, we, we just scrambled the bridge. Very sketchy, though. And it's like I was alone. So I was like, you know what? You can't just hike all the way here and, you know, go for it and get hurt or something. And I also I had heard from a, a backcountry ranger. She said that I asked her about the bridge and she was like, yeah, I hope you're not planning on taking it. I was like, oh, of course not. I was, you know, secretly thinking like, am I supposed to, you know, scramble the bridge too? But she was like, yeah, they're supposed to actually detonate the bridge to reduce like the risk of people on it. Uh, and I was like, oh, do you know when that is? And she was like, I think it's later this week. I don't know. It might be in two weeks. And I realized I was like, I think she's phrasing this so that she doesn't want me to get an idea of, oh, I have enough time to make it. Um but I was like really low on food anyway. So I just took the detour and resupplied on food. I even, I met a hiker the day before I reached that area named Wes. And he's a guy who I think he's hiked the GMT a bunch of times since high school. And uh, he's in his thirties, I believe. And we were, you know, just kind of met him. And I was asking him, I was like, you don't have any spare food, do you, man? Like, I'm, I'm sorry to ask that. I know it's like bad to not be prepared. And he was like, yeah, I'm actually, I'm taking uh, another pass exit today, Kearsage Pass, and I could definitely spare some some food. So got some food from him um, a little bit after this section too, so I didn't need to leave the trail again. Um, so besides that, that resupply in Bishop, I, before that I had resupplied in Mammoth, which is like uh, your Red's Meadow, like you can get burger or you can take the, the shuttle into Mammoth and get, you know, hotel or some resupply at the Vons grocery store there. Um, so although the trail really is like, so you go through a bunch of wilderness, national forest, national park, and it's so remote and difficult and notoriously, you know, you know, beautiful in that way. It's just really cool. Cause it feels manageable and, you know, you can resupply. Like I know a lot of people, the most popular thing is to send resupply packages to uh, Muir Trail Ranch or VVR, some of these spots that are like backcountry destinations along the trail. But I'm not a planner, so I got my permit, you know, a week before the hike and all the things online were like, be sure to send your resupply three weeks ahead of time. So I was like, I can't really do that. So <laughs> just kind of, I was able to resupply from the stores and hitchhiking, but even if I didn't do that, they're apparently at Muir Trail Ranch and VVR. I did go to VVR, but not Muir Trail Ranch. Um, they have notorious hiker boxes. So you you can resupply completely, probably with more food than you need from either one of those spots. So, uh, and I know some people use services where people on horseback will bring a resupply, but the same thing, you have to send it ahead of time. So I think that's something that's cool about the trail is if you want to wing it like me, you can, you just have to kind of be confident in your mileage and your abilities and, or you can, plan it way ahead of time. If you get that permit, you know, the lottery permit, you could plan a pretty cool hike, you know, and take your time out there, which is probably the best thing about sending a resupply is you're not rushed for, you know, resupplying your food and, and stuff like that. So, so it's a dynamic trail, even though it is one of the, you know, one of the pillar trails of, of the, of the U S we'll be back after a quick break. 
You ever think about what might be in the water you're drinking every time you fill up your water bottles while you're in the outdoors? I try not to, and I really don't because I use Sawyer water filters. Sawyer filter technology, because of their high standards, every filter is individually tested three times through the process. I've been using their permethrin product for years now to protect me from, well, quite frankly, ticks and the picaridin to keep the flies at bay. Don't let bad water, insects, or a tick bite cut your trip short or even ruin it. Use Sawyer products. Go to your local outdoor retailer and ask for Sawyer products, whether it's a water filter, insect repellent, they'll likely have it. You can also go to Sawyer's website and read more about these incredible, high quality products that they offer those of us who enjoy the outdoors. I've looked at the JMT as a possible hike for myself, definitely on my bucket list. And I Look there on a there's a stretch of about maybe 70 miles, I'm guessing, where you don't have many resupply options. That kind of, yeah, I'm a like 10 to 15 mile a day hiker. And I'm thinking I probably have to boost that to make sure I can get through there with enough food. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're 10 to 15 miles of East Coast hiking, which is to me like 20 miles of West Coast hiking. Like I feel like. Now that I've hiked on, on the AT and the long trail a bit, I know I know that it's harder out there. So, <laughs> so I shouldn't yeah. be intimidated by that. Okay. <laughs> no, I feel like it'll prepare you for it because like the thing about you go over so many passes, right? And that's what's so beautiful about this trail. The passes are so it's so cool to look north and look south from the same vantage point and just see just how big you're. You're only in one part of the Sierra, and you can't you can't even discern how many peaks there are. You know, it's just that 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 prominent all the granite faces there. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really difficult because you're going up steep, steep trails, you know, it, it may be, it's not muddy and the trail isn't a Creek or river, like some parts of the AT, but you know, you still have that elevation. Um, you're already at higher elevation, but you're also just hiking up and down more elevation each, each day. So I think it's probably good prep to hike some East Northeast trails. Because like two years ago when I did the Tahoe Rim Trail, I was a bit nervous looking at the elevation as somebody who only hiked in the Northeast. And I found myself averaging 14 miles a day and not really feeling any more, you know, actually feeling better than I would do 10 miles on the long trail or on the AT uh, yeah. for a couple of reasons, right? You have the switchbacks and it's a little bit nicer on the feet i'm not going to say easier but you don't have the constant roots and rocks and you can actually look what's ahead of you you can look up and observe what's out there yeah it's it's different yeah i want to go back to the bridge because i saw a youtube that had me scratching my head and there were a couple of guys <laughs> who they decided they were going to go across this thing and you know well we're not you know at that point there was already an established go around it a, a reroute but they decided they were just going to climb through this thing. And I just thought, wow, that is risky. That's, I don't want to be judgy, hike your own hike. But I thought you slip and fall, you know, you got a whole bunch of people got to go in there and risk their lives to rescue you and hope they can get you out yeah. of there alive. Yeah. The rescue effort part is a big thing because you really are risking other lives. Um, and also just with like swift water. Um, I think I had, Cause I was considering doing this bridge thing. Once I started the trail, I was like, all right, I have a you know, week till I'm there or a little less or something. So I have some time to gauge what it's going to be like. But I realized like just in some of the water cross, cause every day from, you know, a high snow year, every day on the JMT, I had water crossings, you know, where you just, you just have to get wet. 
Um, and I was like, I, I came to one a couple of days before the actual bridge where I would have to decide if I was going to do it or not. And I, you know, I'm alone and I have trekking poles. And even then I was like, if this was moving any faster, I could easily just fall over. And who knows if that would be end of day hypothermic situation or drowning. It's like, I think a lot of people get this hubris and overconfidence, um, maybe even especially through hikers sometimes because the things we do on paper, I mean, they are crazy. Like hiking so many miles is so crazy, but I think it's crazier to try to cross that bridge than it is to hike 213 miles. So you just really do have to be smart about stuff. And there was also like another reroute, which was like a mountain pass reroute, but, and I met some people who were like hiking and they're like, Oh, you're doing the JMT. I was like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, I'm actually scoping out that, that reroute for my wife. And I saw their ice equipment and stuff. So like their, their partner was hiking the trail and they were just kind of feeling it out for them ahead of time, which I thought was really cool. But I just didn't have mountaineering experience. I, the only experience I had with my ice axe was just testing it out on some of the passes where it was a safe area, which was fun because I got to learn how it works, but I didn't want to actually have to use it in an emergency. So, um, yeah, that bridge, if anyone Googles it, you know, they'll, they'll see why it's something to second guess. It's not just like some footpath that's, you know, five feet, 10 feet long. It's like the legitimate big bridge. <laughs> Yeah, and it's kind of mangled. It was it, it's, scary, it's scary to look at. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how does it twist like that just from snow, you know? But that just goes to show that, like, you don't understand it's uh, how it's balanced right now or if it could just, you know, it's about to break from your weight or something. Um, it's like, you're out here for the hike. You're not out here just, just to cross this bridge. And, you know, the only thing I didn't like about the reroute, because I liked the two passes I went up. Pipe Pass was really beautiful. Bishop Pass was super beautiful because you, you kind of spend some time um, and do the doozy is it doozy creek or something like that a really cool area doozy basin i think and uh there's a lot of good fishing there and everything so i like that a lot but the eastern sierra transit which is like a shuttle system on the eastern eastern sierra they 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 canceled service at that pass just this that this last summer and so i was like so the, the summer that you guys like schedule this reroute you actually don't even have a shuttle but normally there is, it was kind of frustrating, but I got a, I got a good hitch in and out of that area. So, and those are more fun anyway. So I didn't really care once oh. I got to, into the car, you know? But. Yeah, for sure. As somebody who enjoys hitchhiking, I get it. Yes. Which leads me to this. Yeah. It's California getting a ride, finding a ride. Probably not much of a problem out there. Yeah. It, it took a while at first. And I think that's because the community, I think it's called maybe Aspendel or something that's below Paiute Pass and that, that area that I exited off. Um, it's very, very small. And so I wasn't that confident that people would be up there at that time in the morning, headed back down into Bishop. So I did have to hike, you know, a few miles down just a, a highway or, you know, a road uh, to actually get, and I was hitchhiked. I was, had my thumb out the whole time, but you know, no, nobody looked at me even. And then uh, an orange farmer from Ojai, California picked me up and it was just funny because as soon as I got in the car, he's like, you mind if I have all the windows open? And I was like, I recommend it. Like I'm dry, I smell bad, man. Uh, he picked me up and then on my way out of town, I had to hike out of town a bit cause nobody was, uh, you know, pulling over, which is fine. You know, I was having a good morning, but the guy that picked me up was, ended up being really cool and he didn't know anything. Uh, he's not from the area. He didn't know anything about the John Muir trail. He only knew about the PCT, but he was just in that area from like Nebraska or something just to drive around 
see the California a little bit. So I thought it was cool to, it was a, it was a mutually cool experience. Still have that, that guy's information. Um, Might've wanted to say to you is you're not going to be offended if I roll down the windows, will you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd be, I just I'd want be like, to please do if I, I roll. Myself. <laughs> yeah. But I would say it was pretty easy to get that hitch. And then I took, I did take a shuttle from Red's Meadow into Mammoth. So there were some of the Eastern Sierra transit was working and I was pretty impressed that they have that system there. Cause you worry as a, you know, I got dropped off and I got picked up and we all live, my family all lives in Arizona. So I was like, it's not like I'm going to have someone drive, you know, 10 miles or 10 hours again to come give me a ride. So I, you know, had to hitchhike and, or if nobody was going to pick me up, you know, walk down a really long, spend the whole day walking down a highway or something, but I had the time for it. So I was up for anything, but I think it's funny because the hitchhiking stuff is always really memorable parts of, of through hiking. They're fun experiences. Like, although on a day hike, you know, I, I feel like I should feel confident to hitchhike into town if I got dropped off and needed a ride, but you know, I drive my own car to a trailhead. So it's cool when you're through hiking, be like, I really don't have another option. And because of that, you kind of step out of your comfort zone. And most of the time you meet some pretty cool people. You know, I've heard bad, bad stories too. So I don't want to sugarcoat it, but it's a, it's to me, it's always been something fun about a through hike. So I was, I was happy to get an opportunity to do it because I didn't have many other opportunities besides these ones on the trail since it, you know, it was just a couple of weeks. So I realized if I didn't, hitchhike at those times it was probably just going to be you know resupplying on along the trail the whole time which is fun but you want to see gateway communities and trail communities it's part of the experience yeah well i've always said that and a lot of pikers i've talked to are in agreement that that's as much a part of the journey as the time you spend on a trail is going in and checking out these communities and learning about the people that live there that is as much fun as the hike itself yeah. And some of those communities, they treat you so well as a hiker, you know, I don't know. I didn't really experience it too much on the JMT, but like on the AZT or Colorado trail, a lot of the communities were like, you could tell that the main thing was like that trail. Like that's how they, they get tourism. A lot of the times besides people just driving through the Rockies or Arizona or something. Um, so it's cool because, you know, they'll have a discount for hikers or a hiker box. And it's one of those things you and I always t end up talking about is like the hiking restores your faith in humanity or at least you know it kind of just shows you like these you know relationships you make with people whether it's for an hour or you know a lifetime or really fun part of this, these trails it's not it's not just hiking all the time but even if you're if you're not super social about stuff i'm sure you could get by with not dealing with that and just be in the wilderness the whole time too it's like choose, choose your own kind of adventure and the sierra is a cool place for that because there's access to towns but when you are in the mountains, you're really just, you're in the thick of it. You're just, you're out there and there's like really, really nice trails that are groomed. Usually even a high snow year, they don't do as much maintenance. Um, and then there's like great opportunities to see great sunsets, sunrises, cool camping spots. And then my favorite part, like uh, I, I fish now on these through hikes. And so I brought a Tenkara rod, a little collapsible fly rod. And so I caught a lot of fish and I even, I, I, I caught something called the Sierra Grand Slam, which is you catch the four trout that are in the Sierra Nevada and that's golden trout, brown trout, brook trout, and rainbow. And I was very happy when I finally caught, uh, my last one, which was a, uh, brown trout. So, uh, or maybe I 
think it might have been a rain. I don't know. It was in August now. I can't remember the last one, but just remember being so happy that it finally got, you know, all these fish out there. It's, it's really, really good fishing. It's almost too easy. So, um, I had a lot of fun with that. And, uh, that was kind of how I forced myself to take breaks was like, you could fish here for 15 minutes as you, you know, drink water. Um, so ended up trying to stop myself a lot so I could fish at all these parts. But I realized like there's so many fishable areas along the entire trail. Like didn't go a day without passing two or three, you know, great places to fish. And even one of those, I, uh, one of the first fish that I caught in Lyle Canyon, which is kind of towards the beginning of the trail, still in Yosemite, um, caught some fish there, went to bed that night. And in the morning I went out to go get my bear, bear canister so I could make some breakfast. And I just saw this really big, uh, brown bear, or, um, just right by the Creek, right, right where I was fishing the night before or the, the evening before. And, you know, I kind of made myself big, didn't make any noise. Cause I was kind of like, what do I like? I know what to do, but like, it's not like being aggressive or anything. So I just kind of held my arms up all big. Um, and it kind of just looked at me, but kept walking away. Like it just glanced at me. I was like, I don't care about you but I thought that was cool. And I kind of reported that to Yosemite because they ask you to report bear sightings where they were, what day it was. So it was cool to kind of felt like I was doing some ecological work as well, <laughs> but I thought that was fun seeing it, seeing a bear on the trail and being alone, but it didn't scare me. It felt kind of cool too. Right before I did Donahue pass. So uh, a lot of good days on, on this, this hike. Yeah. Those kind of encounters, it's always kind of cool to walk away saying, Hey, that was fun. You know, that, you know, that was really interesting that I was able to observe something like that and learn that, yeah, the bear yeah. just was looking for a meal. He didn't care about you. He just, you know, he was yeah. looking for it's something. It's cool when it's a memory too. And when it's a memory, it's like, uh, you mean, I don't even, I don't think I embellish when I tell people about that. I don't think I'm like, yeah, it charged me. And you know what I mean? Like, I don't make anything up about it, but I feel like it's scarier in the moment probably, but. That wasn't even my scariest animal encounter on the trail, though. Like day, day one, um, you know, it's like 5,000 plus miles of elevation gain for my first day. And I think maybe 15 miles. But that was just because you start in Yosemite Valley and, you know, you're climbing up, you know, near near Half Dome. You're just really climbing up a lot at the very beginning if you go southbound. And I was like, you know what? I want to I want to push it today. I know like that's a lot of elevation gain, but I'm ready to do it towards the end of the day, I'm just looking the trails like really well groomed. And then there's this downed log over the trail and just on the other side of the trail, um, not directly on the footpath, like in that, you know, foot, you know, 12 inch corridor, but just directly to the side of it and facing the trail was like the biggest rattlesnake I've ever seen. And I'm from Arizona. It's like, I grew up seeing rattlesnakes and this one it truly scared me. Like I just got chills right now, even thinking about it. Cause I saw it, realized what it was. Cause it was just like, you know, a dark olive colored circle at first because it was coiled up and it wasn't making any rattling noises. So I knew it wasn't threatened. But when I saw it, I was like, I just jumped back, took a really long detour around the trail. But then I left a comment about the previous at the previous water source on the app um, on uh, far out because I was like, people, if someone today, even because I had service, I was like, it'll update right now. If someone today knows that there's rattle a rattlesnake in this area, they should know because it was right next to you know where someone's ankles would be. And I, I hope no one got bit by it, but that to me was scarier because that's more um 
snake that is right next to the trail that is a rattlesnake i feel is already aggressive even though it's not rattling whereas like a bear that's 100 yards away or 50 yards away and then kind of glances at you and goes the other way like you tell you can tell you're not threatening it um but i thought yeah the rattlesnake thing was definitely and that was day one too so i was like the rest of the trail just my peripheral vision was just fully engaged i was like what is on the sides of these trails <laughs> i bet snakes scare me more than bears quite honestly and yeah i could see mm-hmm. i could get a bit yeah i get a bit rattled no pun intended if i when i see a snake you know so like i'll spend the next few days or even the duration of my trip look doing the same thing you're doing looking down oh, i think i saw something move you know that 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 thing across the trail that oh it's just a branch not a snake <laughs> yeah and i find it funny because usually that kind of vision for me on these trails is like foraging like i'm looking for little fruits or small veggies or something to like that like basic ones you know raspberries or certain cactus fruit that i'm familiar with because i'm like oh that's a fun thing to just have as a snack it's like really cool i'm out here in the wilderness and i can have a little snack just like an animal that's you know in the area um but then my so on the trail i was like that's how it starts out but then the rest of the trail i was like really just looking for snakes and stuff like that instead of looking for for food sources I did find one wild strawberry, which is really cool. Like on the, there's a detour hike into VVR. If you, cause you, usually people take a boat shuttle across the lake and VVR is a campground kind of resort campground area. Um, there's tents that you can rent and shower. There's a restaurant food store. Um, I missed, or I, I, I had two hours till the, the ferry. So I was like, I'm just going to do the hike. It says like five miles or so. I ended up being, I, I regretted it because it was really rocky and like harder, just extra mileage from the hike um but it was cool because i found one really interesting little wetland area that had um a couple like really young strawberries but then one super ripe one and it was the only uh foraged good i think i had the whole trip but it was it was really it was tasty and it was it's it was fun to be like if i didn't do this side trail and you know do all this extra effort i would have been like yeah i didn't find anything on the whole trail there was no you know you know no no fruits or anything like that it was cool. It worked out and I got to have a little snack and uh, I'll, I remember sending my family a photo of that and they just thought I was foraging strawberries all day and stuff. But I was like, nope, just just that one, just those, you know, three calories, but <laughs> still fun. Yeah. Just happened to stumble upon it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's a cool thing. Sometimes when we're taken off trail for whatever reason, whether it's a detour or we need to resupply, you have those cool little things that happen every once in a while. Like I remember... When I was yeah. doing the long trail, I had to get off the trail. I was going into town, taking it, you know, it was my town day, ready to get off the trail. And I was walking down this road where there was absolutely no traffic. And I saw this farm, organic blueberry farm. So I'm looking and the woman's out there working and she calls me over and hands me a pint of blueberries. Right. Oh, I wow. Yeah. I bet those were some of the best blueberries too. Oh, boy. I started out. Samir so we saying, all right, I'll eat a few now. I'll finish them up when I, I was staying at a hotel in Bennington. I'll, fin- <laughs> I'll finish them up as a, and got to the highway. I said, well, I don't know if anybody would want me taking these in their car. So let me eat some more. And I, they never made it. I, <laughs> I yeah, that's, that's got to be the coolest treat too. some fresh fruit, especially like blueberry. I mean, blueberries don't grow everywhere. Right. So that's that is a, a truly like a, a unique, you know, thing for that area. Even same thing with strawberries. I've in the West, I've found them in Yosemite or in a Yellowstone national park. I have a couple spots on my, like my Google maps that I have from trails I've hiked there that I found strawberries at the right time of year. So I have like that. And 
um, that one on the JMT, some other areas, um, some stuff in Colorado um, for like huckleberries and grouseberries. Like it's fun because I have like this this little done these road trips and through hikes now where now I have like little geo locations being like, this is where you found this fruit. And so I hope one day to go back to those areas, but I never, never found a blueberry area. I, th I think the coolest oh. that I've uh, have it stored in my phone are the strawberry and huckleberry patches, but yeah, it's, it's pretty special. It's the best trail magic. Cause it's, you know, yep. from the earth. It's, it's really, really nice. If you ever decide to through hike or even section hike the AT, and you're going through New Jersey in July or sometime in August, the blueberries, they're just, when I was a kid, we'd go up there. We'd, these were just overnight trips and we'd make pancakes. And part of the ritual was to go out and pick the blueberries to mix them with our pancakes. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just so many of them out there. I'm going to have to do one of those section hikes just, just for the blueberry tourism, just for the forage tourism. Cause I love that. Honestly, like I'm always, even I'm, I hike in the winter and it's like, right now snowshoeing maybe i'm not looking for fruits but it's like i'm always interested on whatever is going on along the trail corridor or right outside it you know because like it's it's a privilege to have a groomed trail and you're just you have this set path i think more so it felt like that on the long trail or must feel like that on the at because you really are in this tunnel that you know they always call the green tunnel but it's like you appreciate the fact that that tunnel even exists because it's like if this wasn't here it'd just be like 20 feet away where it's just so dense and impossible so um, you know, it's cool to be able to, if it's, if it's really well-groomed and not super rocky, easy to walk around, it's like so fun to just kind of glance side to side and see what's going on. I feel like more often than not, I've found cool stuff or even around Tucson, when I hike with my dad and my brother, depending on the time of year, I'm like, yeah, you can eat this cactus fruit. And they're always like kind of surprised or my dad's always kind of surprised, uh, stuff like that. So it's, it's a educational opportunity, but also really kind of it's another dimension to what's so special about the region, whatever region you're in, you know, whatever unique plants are growing there. So yeah. it's fun to experience on the trail too. And it, you, you know, you have backpacking foods and they're all salty or you have ramen. So definitely helps to get some fresh fruit in there. Yeah. And nothing beats it. Right. You know, like the blueberries yeah. I got in Refreshing. Vermont, she had just picked them. Yeah. Like yeah. I had just been walking up on the farm as she was out there working and yeah, she was out there picking blueberries. Yeah, and this is around Ben. Difference. So that's the southern part of the trail, right? Is yeah, it Bennington. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, did you? Did you? I forget. Did you northbound it or? I flipped the, the second start, goat I, attempt. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what it yeah, was. It was a flip -flop. Yeah, I started out in the Canadian border and then finished up going north. Um, you know, I want to talk about the logistics a little bit here. Uh, you were able to drive to the trailhead, or did you have to? use airplane yeah my brother yeah. drove me yeah mm -hmm. we we stayed uh now that i'm from tucson but now that i live in flagstaff i think we just stayed here because it cuts down on the the drive a little bit and he drove me because he had some friends he was going to visit in san jose so he dropped me off we stayed in mammoth and then he dropped me off um they had just opened the pass tioga pass that it, it was closed because of all the snow it just opened a week a week or two ahead of that um so he took me through and then dropped me off and kept going but it was kind of interesting getting dropped off just because from all the snow there was a lot of damage on the high, the upper you know high sierra part of yosemite a lot of people think about the valley with el cap and um you know a lot of the famous mountain features but what i think is the coolest part of yosemite truly is is the higher country 
you know, a lot of the, the lakes there and streams there, there's really, really great fishing. It's not warm, like, like Yosemite Valley is in the summer, but a lot of the resources there, like the Tuolumne Meadows Visitor Center and restaurant, they were all closed just from snow collapsing on the buildings and stuff like that. So logistics wise, it was nice to get dropped off, but I still had to figure out some stuff about resupplying since I knew that store was going to be closed. Um, and then same thing, uh, besides hitchhiking, when I finished the trail, I got picked up by that same brother. And then my dad, they drove back out. Uh, and then we spent some, after that I finished the trail, we went back to Yosemite, spent some time there, like hiking and enjoying the trail. They wanted to see what I had just done. And so it was a really cool experience getting to do that with my brother and my dad, because I'm the, I'm the youngest of three brothers and I, I just turned 30. And so it's like those opportunities are, you know, few and far between, especially whenever you live in a different city. So it was cool to finish my hike and uh, for one of them to be like, oh, you're still alive. But two, I got to, you know, share parts of the trail with them and show them a lot of the cool parts of the trail. Yeah, and I could tell you as the father of three adult children, it meant a lot to your father as well. Yeah, it's, no, I uh, can tell, man. He's still yeah. anytime I'm in town, he's like, "When are we going hiking?" Like hiking's his thing now too. It became my thing, you know, four or five years ago, and now he's because he's very active, but in a gym. So now he's just like he's always wanting to go for you know a cool hike. And I think, uh, I think I had talked about it in one of our podcasts, but uh, last summer I had gotten to to do like a road trip before my hike. Uh, with my dad and brother and we drove up to Montana, then Washington, and then through California and Oregon, we came back to Arizona. So he really got a glimpse of like why I fell, fell in love with the West and all of our forests, parks and wilderness areas. And now he's been to so many parks and places like that. And it's makes me a proud son to know that he knows the name of like a certain forest that, you know, him and I both didn't even know the name of five years ago. It's we're, we're big hikers now. So it's, it's fun to share that. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Along the John Muir Trail, there's a lot to see. Do you have any favorite sites? You know, I've read enough about it. Like I said, it's on my bucket list. What, what do, you, do you have a list of favorite things or one very special place that you hiked by or stayed at? Hmm. I'd have to think about it a little bit, but some stuff that just immediately comes to mind, um, that Doozy Basin, which I was saying, I I hiked through once I connected back to the trail at Bishop Pass. So I had gotten off trail, went into town to resupply, and the next day hitchhiked back to the trail, but to a different pass. Um, that's Bishop Pass, and it was a really cool hike up to Bishop Pass from you know that side of the Sierra. But then once you get over the pass, it's just ten times more beautiful, and you're in this basin called Doozy Basin. It's like super scenic. There's some, some of the clearest, bluest water, greenest, you know, grass around the streams. So many beautiful, you know, good sized trout. Um, I really like Doozy Basin. And I think it's known as one of those kind of areas too. So I thought that was a lot of fun. And then it was just really interesting. Um, I'd always heard about summiting Whitney. I'd heard about Guitar Lake. I'd heard about just that area of the trail um, in other podcasts or in, you know, books um, YouTube videos. So to finally be there, it felt surreal. And even looking back at photos, it just looks like another planet, you know, you're so high up and it's so all the colors are just completely blue sky, green grass around the streams, bunch of, you know, beige and tans from all the rocks and silver and grays from the granite. And it's just like, it feels, it feels so pristine. 
And so it was cool to, to finally, you know, it was nerve wracking to know like, Oh, now you got to summit Whitney, but I didn't think it was the hardest part of the trail. So even though I expected it to be, so I think, you know, doozy basin and then that entire, uh, area like guitar lake and just before mount whitney just before you finish or just after you start if you're going northbound they're just some really beautiful areas but that's not to say that all the other places in between aren't beautiful too this it's one of those things where every day you're just like i can't believe i get to hike through here the only day that the only section i didn't feel that way was and i don't know exactly where it was but if anyone listening hiked uh jmt or pct that year that they'll know of it or even after this because of all the blowdowns but there was just this one section I think just before southbound, just before Glen Pass, maybe, and it was so many down trees. And I saw comments about it on the on the app saying like, "This will take you an hour, two hours." And I underestimated. It was frustrating, you know. Like you don't see the trail for hundreds of yards, and you're just like thinking you see people's paths, so you follow it, you lose it, and you're just like, "I don't even know where I'm really going." So that was the only part I didn't like. Aside from that. The only scary things are those the animal encounters, maybe, but uh, maybe more realistically, like some of those stream crossings when it's moving fast and you are alone, you got to be smart and you have to, you know, you should watch videos and you should learn about, you know, how to cross those safely because there is a correct way to do it. Um, but aside from those things, I, I just like it's one of those hikes where every day you just your jaws dropped and it's just like. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to leave here, but it's also like, I really want to finish. Cause I know that I'm finishing on like the highest peak of the lower 48. So it's like, you know, no, no day. Are you like, okay, the easy parts coming up, you know, maybe if you go northbound, cause the half, the Southern half is kind of notoriously harder. Um, but I, that's, I think a lot of people do it southbound cause you start in Yosemite. It's beautiful. You can take your time and then hopefully you're have your hiker legs by the time you get to the rugged part um but that being said i met so many northbound hikers who were having a really good really good time and they even went up whitney portal the area that i thought was going to be too icy and stuff like that so um anyone listening that is thinking about hiking it should it's it's a hard permit to get but it's truly beautiful and if you just like hiking especially you martin i know you've done the trt long trail you could totally do this trail and you could do it uh, if you got a permit is even better because you could plan your resupply and everything. But uh, there's a reason I feel like why people talk about this trail and why it's so hard to get the permit. And now that I've experienced that, I totally get it. And I think it'll still be hard permit to get, but I hope to one day at least do a, maybe the section I didn't get to do um, around Muir Pass uh, just to, you know, say that I did every official mile of it. But um, that being said, like, even the detours, they're just cool. If you had like extra time, it'd be fun to even just spend time doing the detours because it's an area you wouldn't have seen and truly just pristine areas. So what I'm hearing is this trail belongs on my bucket list. Maybe I even need to move it up the bucket list because it sounds like you had a great time and there's a lot to see. Very enjoyable trail. Yeah, at least uh, at least applying for the lottery because then if you get the lottery, that's a sign that you're meant to do it, you know? If you don't want to deal with all the logistics of a last minute permit, especially from the East coast or somewhere where you have to fly, you can't just drive, can't get dropped off by someone or schedules don't work. You know, it's worth trying to get that lottery permit. And if you don't get it, there's so many other trails that you don't need a permit for, but um, it's smart that they have that lottery system. I, you know, I, it's, it's necessary because if they didn't, it really wouldn't be as, as clean and pristine as, and special of a place. Cause 
you know, it's the West, but it's like, you can't just camp anywhere too. There's some spots and you can, you know, leave no trace. You're not supposed to really make new campgrounds anyway. So I think they do a good job with the lottery system. And I think a lot of people who are, it's the thing that they want to do most in life. They might be able to try to get a last minute permit or something if, if they can, but it's, uh, it's gotta be at the top, one of the top ones on your list, but you've spent some time in this year. So you, you know how cool it is out there already. Yeah. You know, I think for people in your first time being there, maybe on the TRT hike, it's like, it's truly just amazing that it's a unique area and it's cool that it's in this, the same country as, you know, you live on the East coast and it's, that's still the U S over there. So it's cool. Yeah. That's, that's a good perspective on it. Right. Just flying across our own country and having such a different and unique experience. Yes. Well, Samir, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your information on your JMT hike and telling us about the JMT. I'm looking forward to having you back on. Best of luck this semester in school. Thank you, Martin. Yeah, love love being on. Love a lot of the episodes you've been making lately, especially the ones with Lolo Sparkle. Um, I think it's cool that she's been a recurring guest now too. Um, she she has a cool perspective on through hiking, especially for such a badass hiker. So. Uh, really, really love the direction of the podcast and glad you had me back on. Hope, hope to be back on, you know, after whatever next, whatever hike is next. I'm not too sure as of right now. So thanks for listening. If you haven't done so yet. Go to our website, palmabearhikes.com. Listen to past episodes. Check us out on social media. Go to our YouTube channel, Martin Outside. All those links are there. In addition to that, you can buy our book or see what you're missing out on if you're not a Patreon member yet. Remember to get outside, have fun, and be safe. This episode of Pop Bear Hikes has been brought to you by Avalon Publicity. Avalon Publicity, increasing the digital footprint of content creators and skilled professionals via website development and social media services. For more information about Avalon Publicity, go to their website, avalonbusiness.org. That's avalonbusiness.org.